Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. Welcome to the Conversations That Could with Dermot Brereton. Do you have a mate that doesn't seem great? Maybe their team is up, but they're still down. A dare fix won't fix it, but a conversation could. Ask, are you okay? Dare Iced Coffee, a proud partner of Are You Okay? Welcome to the conversations that could. I'm Dermot Brereton. Each week I talk with people from across the sporting landscape to reflect on their career, be it past or present, discuss the struggles and the successes, issues surrounding mental health and ways in which we can all support each other through the challenges that life presents. Our guest tonight is Wayne Schwoss, a familiar voice for most AFL fans, especially those who remember the glory days of the great North Melbourne Football Club in the late 1990s. For listeners tuning in from our NRL strongholds outside of AFL Heartlands, perhaps you're not as familiar with Wayne's story, but it's a story that provides much inspiration. We'll summarise by saying, Schwader, you were an elite athlete playing AFL at the highest level, standing on the podium, having been part of the Kangaroos Premiership win in 1996 to receive your Premiership medallion. For all the world to see, you had a winning smile on your face... Or your big, big white winning teeth as well. You were a champion, and yet behind the smile, you were battling some serious mental health issues and were very close to breaking. Mm. Schwader, lovely to have you back in the studio again. It's nice to be back, Derm. It's really nice to be back. It's a long time ago, that uh, that moment in my sporting career, but just listening to you talk about that, I'm a better person for all of that. I really am a better person, even though that was difficult and it was tough and, and I really didn't like the experience. What I can say to people is I've learned so much. I've grown a lot. Um, and it's really nice to be back in your company again to have another conversation. Well, I'm absolutely honoured to have somebody willing to come in a second time. <laughs> <laughs> You're the first. Hey, we had Ben Alexander on uh, last week, former uh, Wallaby great. You love your rugby mm. union. You're born in New Zealand? Correct. yep. What about the Irish knocking over the, the All Blacks? Didn't come in here to talk about that, Dern. <laughs> My old man still won't turn the telly on. <laughs> now, in our household, yes, there's bad losers, but I think the All Blacks handled defeat really well, really they respectfully. Did. What were you like as a winner? Uh, I enjoyed it, but yeah. I was a really, I was a sook when we lost. Oh, yeah. yeah, I was grumpy, moody. Oh, look, I don't how know. much of that was, was the issues you were uh, going through? And oh. how much was it, I'm a winner and I'm not meant to be doing this? No, I hated, I hated losing. I really struggled with the concept of losing. Um, I would say, Derm, that the way that I behaved off the back of a loss wasn't um, influenced by what I was living with. But what I can say confidently, the way I played my football was definitely influenced by the way that I was feeling and what I was experiencing. And I've reflected on this a lot, and I've actually started to talk about this 
whenever I'm engaging with audiences, which is something that I do a lot of, and that is I played, I played a lot of my football very angry. Yeah, you did. And I'm, I'm not an angry person by no. nature, yep. but I was angry because of the challenge that I was living through and the difficulty that that was having on my life. But also, I also played a fair bit of my footy um, spitefully and, and, and that, in the sense that, you know, our coach at that time at North Melbourne was Dennis Pagan, who was a very hard man, and he, he, he coached from a position of command and control. And I was never scared of Dennis, but I resented some of the things that were said, mm. and I felt that that was a personal attack. So the way that I did go about my football is not really a reflection of the person that I am. I'm a really compassionate, gentle, loving person. Mm. But when I look back on my football career, my behaviour was being influenced by those two things in a lot of ways. If, if I can just give you a little bit of background on that from the opposition, uh, yeah, w we saw this precociously talented young man coming into the footy and size and shape, average for league football, yep. not big enough to, to really hurt somebody. But they hurt people because of nasty little snide acts. And I yep. remember thinking to myself, thank God this bloke isn't 100 kilos <laughs> and six foot three because he has that rare attitude that he wants to win, but he wants to hurt you while he's oh, winning. Yeah, yeah. You did have that. Yet yeah. in, the, in the few times before I got to know you better, post-retirement, you'd never, even in those days, you were never anything but really nice mm. and gentlemanly off the ground. But you were... Please accept this the right snide nasty mm. on the ground as a player. Yeah, I, I look. I think that's fair, Derm. Certainly for the time that I played at North, I would I would strongly refute that. Once I moved to Sydney, because um, I was much older, uh, but I also fell in love with the game again. Yeah. I, I had really fallen out of love with the game when I I finished up at North Melbourne, and the other thing that um, I did in for the first three and a half years with Sydney, when I moved to Sydney, I, I, I had two things that motivated. One, I wanted to prove to myself I was still good enough to play at that level. Yep. And two, I wanted to effectively say and up yours to every person that doubted me at that age of my career that I could still play good level footy. So one of the decisions that I made, which was arguably one of the most important decisions, was I started boxing training with Terry Lewis, the co cousin of Johnny Lewis. And I got addicted to it. And I, was, I did a little bit of that with, with Terry as well. Yeah, when so, I, so you know Terry. So Sydney, I would yeah, go and yeah. spar three times a week with an Australian lightweight champion called Tony Weeby. And I love my boxing. I'm, I'm not going to say I'm any good at it, but I loved it. And I got yep. obsessed with it. And what that taught me was how far I could push myself physically and mentally in a game of football. And I knew through that training that I was doing – so much more than my opponents. And at some point during a game of football, because most games I played, I got tagged. Yep. And when I went to Sydney, I started to embrace that because that was a compliment. Whereas at North, I resented it. Mm. I wanted the freedom just Fight to play footy. Yeah, yeah, very much yeah, so. Yeah. So by training with boxing and Terry, I learned to control my thinking. I learned to control my thought process. And I learned to train to this point where when I was uncomfortable and I was tired, I knew that I had 20 to 30% more to go. So when it got into the third quarter and a tagger was still with me, I kept saying to myself, I'll break him at some point. And invariably, I did. And my career at Sydney was a more consistent, higher quality 
than what it was at North. I Less was spasmodic yeah. at North Melbourne. Yep. Great games, poor games, and some in between. Because I can remember Dennis absolutely, and as the coaches did of the day, my most admired person in life, Alan Jeans, mm. the amount of time he <laughs> tore us a new one, yep. unbelievable. But but I admire him for it. So that was the day. I can remember Dennis even being public mm. on you. Yeah. I really, I, I, I struggled with it, Tim. I, I haven't... I haven't really talked. To, I haven't talked about this publicly in any great detail, but yeah, you know, maybe now's the right time. I've carried a lot of anger for twenty years, a lot of anger and a lot of resentment for things that happened during my career, and I'm the one that I'm, that, that burdens me. So, uh, through the course of last year, I uh, started working with a psychologist, um, and I started working with the psychologist not because I was sick. I started working with the psychologist because. My marriage, 27 year uh, marriage ended. I might have said this last time we spoke. Um, divorce happens, separation, relationships changed, and I was having a lot of difficulty reconnecting with my children. Yep. So I went and spent 12 months working with this psychiatrist, psychologist. And one of the things that came up consistently through the sessions that I had with him, and I worked with him every second week, was that I lacked a lot of self-confidence. I didn't have... I didn't see a lot of value or self-confidence or self-worth. And when we really started to unpack it, it goes back to my footy career. So you derived confidence, self-confidence by the way you played? I didn't know who I was beyond a football player for seven years post-retirement. I had no idea. Because if you think about it, everything you do, every bit of information, feedback, commentary, almost to 100% is related to you, the athlete. Your performance. So when you retire, you start to question who am I? Who am I beyond the person that I've been for the last 15 years as an AFL athlete? I, I was either, I had to be the best player or the best trainer. And if I wasn't, then I was a failure. And that type of thought process, that black and white view of the world, that perfectionist, obsessive characteristics, on one hand, drive you to be the best you can. But on the other hand, they set unrealistic expectations. So I was either getting positive feedback, yep, good, valuable, or if I was getting negative feedback, then I was an absolute failure. And I've seen this myself and self-analysed. What are some of the things that make you great at what you do in sport? You actually have to leave them behind once you retire. Mm. They won't flip over and transfer into everyday life Mm. because it's hard wiring that you've you've actually got to disconnect. Elite sport in any sport is actually a really selfish pursuit. Mm-hmm. We've all got egos. We all want success. We all hope that we get su- success and we're prepared to expend everything that we possibly can in order to chase our goals and our dreams. Sometimes that's at the expense of our own physical or emotional health. Yep. Sometimes that's at the expense of relationships, of opportunities, because we have this single-minded, narrow focus, that's the goal. And if you or anyone else wants to get in my way and stop me from achieving that goal, I don't care who you are. Yeah, you're cast I'm going through this as hard as I can until I give myself the best opportunity of achieving the goal. If we had our time again, will we do everything the same? I'd do a lot of things the same, but I'd do a lot of things very differently too. Mm. And that was the era too. To to achieve your goal, you've got to be single-minded. That was drilled into the athlete in in our era. Yeah, and, and, and also I'm assuming that you also saw this, but 
the system and the, the environment was set up to try and break those people that perhaps were a little vulnerable. Yes, it was. Because the notion of masculinity in a, be a male athlete back then is very different to what it is now. Yeah. And it was about being strong and tough and hard and aggressive and angry and all of those type of characteristics which are important in a combative sport. But that messaging is also counterproductive because it equipped, certainly equipped me to be a good athlete. But I didn't have the skill set to be a good person. I didn't have the skill set to develop rich, deep, meaningful relationships. And I'll share an example with you. One of my teammates, uh, probably about 10 or 15 years ago, went through a really difficult time. And I, I, I've done this from time to time. I, 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 I wanted to support him. So we would catch up regularly, you know, every week, every second week. And about six months into his physical and emotional challenges, I sat down with him in a, Kens uh, in a cafe in Kensington and I said to him, really honestly, I said, you know what I've realised about our relationship? He said, what's that? I said, I don't know you. He goes, what do you mean? I said, our relationship and all of my relationships with my teammates at North Melbourne has all been underpinned by alcohol. We haven't sat down and had real, open, authentic you conversation. You were party boys, weren't oh, you? Massive. Off the scene. We had a great yeah. time. And that was part of that, 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 that sort of made that period so much so much more enjoyable, but alcohol played such a big role in everything that we did. And I guess as you get a bit older, Derm, I don't know about you, but I certainly reflect on a lot of things now. Oh, yeah. And I start to ask questions, and I wouldn't do what I did then. I wouldn't do that now. That's not who I am. And it was, it was the realisation for me that most of my football relationships with my teammates have all been involving alcohol and and. and I want to know people. I want to develop good relationships when we're not, we don't always have to have a drink to sit down and talk or go for a walk. So I don't know. Does that also come with a bit of maturity in the age? Yeah, no doubt. I mean, young boys, yeah. they're training so hard and that's the outlet and yeah. the, the outlet is booze and the outlet is, 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 is focusing on girls once you've, you've mm. finished yeah. the training and the likes and that's immature. It, but you, you've reached a level of maturity yeah, now. Yeah, it, it is very immature. But again, you know, you think about your experience going through the system. We were trained to be good athletes, but we weren't trained or educated. And I'm not saying it's 100% the responsibility of the organisation that you're involved with. Yep. But we weren't involved in an organisation or an industry that fostered or encouraged or supported us to be responsible young men, mm. men that had some awareness, both self and others, we had some emotional intelligence. We had a language which allowed us to be, you know, honest and respectful amongst ourselves, but also extended to everybody that we were engaging with. Um, and that's not to excuse, you know, poor decisions. And I've made plenty of those poor decisions. But I do look back at that time and go, that kid really had no idea what he was doing. To extend that, <laughs> um, I, never, I never know what, what's going to come up in a conversation. <laughs> but... I can honestly say this now. I have a, I have a new partner. My, my marriage ended, and which is it impacts everybody, both parties and children, all that sort of stuff. I'm 53. At the age of 51, I finally understand what's required to have a healthy, respectful, honest relationship with a woman. And with the benefit of all of that, I look back at my life, and I've said this to my partner now uh, a number of times, if I could go back to when I was younger, I wouldn't look for a serious relationship until I was well into my 40s. Wow. Because up until then, yeah. I had no idea. How to manage it? None. Mm. And if you think about it, you put time and effort into planning where do the kids go to school. 
you work with a financial planner to develop a financial plan. You'll work with an accountant to work out a tax strategy and all of those type of things. You'll, if you run a business, which I do, you've got a strategic business. You're looking to execute it. So you, you create all these plans for all of these important aspects of your life except, except you overlook one, <laughs> yeah, which is arguably you. the most important one, and that is the relationship you have with a key life partner. Yeah. Yeah. You and the life's, way you execute correct. that life. Life's a journey, yeah. Dan. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm 53 and uh, I, I'm really comfortable with the fact that my journey didn't end when I retired. My journey ends when I can't take any more breath. Yeah. So I'm willing and I'm curious enough to try and learn. Mate, there's so much more I want to talk to you about. Um, cycle for change, people in this environment, yep. this day and age, because you are at the at the, the coalface with all of them. You've got touch and feel with these people who are struggling in life, and we'll talk about that after the break. I'm talking to Wayne Schwoss. This is The Conversations That Could, brought to you by Dare Ice Coffee. If uh, our conversation tonight has raised some issues for you, you can call Lifeline on 13 11 14, and that is open 24 hours a day. Back with Schwossie in a moment. The Conversations That Could with Dermot Brereton. Mate not feeling great? A dare fix? won't fix it, but a conversation could. Ask, are you okay? Welcome back. My guest tonight is Wayne Schwoss, founder of Pucker Up, former AFL great with two, 282, Schwossy. 282 games of AFL for North Melbourne and the Sydney Swans. We haven't spoken to you for 12 months. Mm-hmm. Thanks for coming in again. I've said that Thanks already. But yeah. Hey, uh, some of the statistics of people who are trying to take their life through yeah. the hardships of life, uh, 65,000 people, not just think about it, because heck knows how many think about it, mm. 65,000 people a year engage in the activity to try and end their life. Um, normally, and I keep into, as you are well aware, I keep touch with these stats. Normally we're uh, as a nation around 2,600 to 2,700 actually achieve their uh, horrible objective of taking their life. Mm -hmm. But uh, the last years, 2020, we had over 3,100 people take their life. Is it that dire out there for people? Yep. Can't sugarcoat and I won't. Um, There are a lot of people who are hurting. There are a lot of people that are alone, lonely, disconnected, feeling overwhelmed. What's helpless. disconnected? We hear that word so often. What what does it mean in somebody's uh, lifetime that they are willing to go to this resort disconnected? Yeah, look, I can't answer it for anyone else, Derm. I can share with you what it meant for me, and that was that I was I was disconnected from any ability to be able to regulate or be attentive to feelings and emotions. So I was not connected phys- uh, to my um, emotional capacity. So when, when, when I'm trying to think, how, how can I explain this? I can, revi- I can vividly recall a training session, and this might sound strange to people, but I was living through a very strange period of my life at this stage, and we were doing a training run around um, the tan. And I remember... As crazy as this sounds, this is the truth. I watched myself that whole training session from above myself. It was almost as if I was astro traveling and I was, I was, I was there physically, but emotionally and mentally, I was so far detached from where I was physically that I was looking down on myself, looking at this person who was empty and hollow 
I couldn't feel anything. I couldn't make sense of the thought process. And what made that whole experience, not just that day, but for the 10 and a half years that I tried to hide what I lived through, I didn't know how to communicate. See, I could talk to you about footy. I could talk to you about life. Not life. I could talk to you about, you know, kids or holidays or bikes or cars or girls. Yeah. Because I had a language and I had a level of capacity and confidence which allowed me to talk about it. And 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 you probably bluffed your way through because, I, as I, I said, I, I found you so engaging. No, I lied. I lied. But I found you engaging. Yeah, because it was a facade. It was a facade of lies to make sure that people like you that knew me or people that didn't, didn't think that I had mental health conditions. And the difficulty that I had was that I didn't know how to talk about feelings and emotions because I never had that conversation. I never had one of these discussions. And I say this honestly with audiences all the time. You know my dad and I love my dad dearly. He's 79 and I talk to him all the time. But I never had one of these discussions with my dad until the age of, um, what was I, 33 and a half. I grew up in a world where fathers and sons don't talk about emotions and feelings and insecurities. They talk about manhood, but it doesn't, yeah. in, it, it didn't entail no. it was these a, emotions. No, and it was a directive to be a man, you need to be A, B, C and D. Yep. And don't do F, G, H and Y, because mm. that's not what a man does. And again, I'm not blaming, I'm not sort of pointing the finger at anybody, but these are things that I've reflected on. So disconnection for me is a disconnection from yourself, a disconnection from the environment that you're living or working in, a disconnection from family, from friends, from work. All of those type of things could be a disconnection. And to get back to your original question, I don't want to overstate this, but the reality is that pre-COVID, um, we had over five of the last six years nationally, We've lost more than 3,000 people who have tragically ended their lives. Per year. Yep, per year. Five of the last six, respecting that we shut down a country to save the lives of people being taken as a result of COVID. As you say, we duly respect that. Yep. But we shut down this state for three deaths, two deaths. Correct. And and 15 positive cases. So for me, I sit back and go, hang on. I'm totally all in, all on, all in board, all on board, and totally supportive of whatever decisions we need to make to protect the lives of people. Yes, let's do it, but let's not prioritise people that could lose their lives because of COVID, and not do that for people that are thinking about ending their lives because every person deserves to have the same opportunity and level of support to keep existing. Yet, for some reason, in this country of ours, it's changing, but it's not changing quickly enough. For some reason. It's almost as if, as a country, we know it's an issue, but we're not ready to lean into that issue. We're not ready to do everything we possibly can to prevent the likelihood of people it's, achieving that. It, but it's even difficult to get the statistical numbers. Well, I'm going to say something which could be a little bit um, inflammatory, but it's based on fact. The numbers that are shared are not accurate. They're not. I wouldn't have thought so. Because... The coroners don't report single car accidents on great driving conditions as potential suicides. Mm. So the reality is that those numbers would more than likely go up. And I have it on very good authority that the numbers are far higher than what we are informed of. And part of the reason for that is that if the true numbers were shared, then it is frightening. It's Mm. already frightening. Yeah. And I don't want to focus on that outcome. I will respect it, 
the reason why I founded my organisation, Derm, Pucker Up, is because our vision is to end suicide. We're committed to it. It's big. It's aspirational. Some people might say it's unachievable. But if we don't set the goal, we'll never, we'll never know yeah. if we can achieve it. You've got to have a target. So the way that we do that is we're not working in that crisis space. We're upstream. And we now have a science-backed education program called Foundations of Wellbeing, which we've partnered with Melbourne University and the Centre for Wellbeing Science, and they've created it. And we have a tech partner called Frankie, and they have an online platform which we now house our program on. And the way that we're going to work as hard as we can to achieve our vision of preventing suicides completely is by educating people. And we believe... If we can educate people around their individual well-being, help them develop the competency, the capacity, and most importantly, the tools which allow them to proactively look after their well-being, then an outcome of that is we're going to prevent people from getting sick. When people are sick, they think about hurting themselves. They're vulnerable. And that's really deliberate on our behalf. And the reason why it's deliberate is, again, I'm not being, I'm not being critical, but I, I've been in this space for 16, 17 years. We're doing the same things we've always done in Australia, expecting a different outcome. Well, if you look up the definition, that's stupidity. Yeah. But this is what we're doing. So our approach to it is we're not part of the pointing in. That's not what we do. What we want to do is help keep people healthy and effectively not looking at, at, a, at through a medical lens. We're not wanting to treat people but we are looking through an education lens because we want to teach people. Yeah. Teach versus treat. Think about so you don't want to jump, you're not jumping in midstream. You're going no. up the mountain to the source. Correct. We're saying to people, we're not waiting to get sick physically. So why aren't we applying the same application and strategies to our mental health? Staying healthy impacts everyone positively. You're healthier. Your relationships with your key partners and your children and your family and friends are better. The benefits and the ripple effect by keeping people healthy, it impacts everyone that they're engaging with. So society's healthier, the environment's healthier, the communities that they're in are healthier, the family units are healthier, and the individual is healthier. Well, I'm Dermot Burton, and our guest is the Schwatter, Wayne Schwoss. This is The Conversations That Could. You can kickstart a conversation with Dare and Are You OK? And if you need to talk to somebody... Call Lifeline 13 11 14. They're available 24 hours a day. The conversations that could with Dermot Brereton. Mate not feeling great? A dare fix won't fix it. But a conversation could. Ask, are you okay? cycle for change. You, yeah. You're one of those pesky buggers on the road that, that we say, get off the road, don't take up three wide, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. But tell me about, you've got it up on your Instagram, cycle for yeah. change. Tell yeah, me about it's, that. A, it's a three-day event. Again, everything we do is always on message. Um, it's about honouring the lives lost in 2020. 3,139 people tragically took their lives in 2020. So we want to make sure that those families and those communities impacted know that there are organisations that care and care greatly. These are people. They've got stories. They're not a statistic. They shouldn't just be seen as a, st a statistic. They're mums and dads, sons and daughters. They're aunties and uncles. They're people that have had short lives, long lives. 
they, they, they've engaged with people throughout their life journey. And it's, it's, it's really important that we honour the lives that are no longer with us and to let, let those communities and families know that we're doing everything we possibly can. We cannot get that person back that they've lost. But what we can do is continue to agitate for greater awareness, continue to advocate for a different application in the way that we view this and use education as the lever to bring around to bring about sustainable, systemic and societal change because we don't believe that people need to hurt themselves before we start to do things. Yeah, somebody wants to engage in that and a cycle for change. How do they learn a little bit more about so, that? Yeah, so they can go onto the Pucker Up website, puckerup.com.au. Um, cycle for change. I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely stoked. Um, we've sold it out. So oh, we, right. we've got okay. uh, we've got. 80... Do you get sponsors? Can, can yep. people sponsor? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so if you want to get in contact with Pucker Up, you can uh, by contacting us via the via the email address on the website, info at puckerup.com. Pucker Up is P-U-K-A-U-P, by the way. Um, so we've sold out the bike ride. So we've got 81 riders. We've got 13 amazing women who are joining us. We'll ride 331.9 kilometres because that honours the number of lives yeah. lost in 2019. Um, and, and the, That'll take me. Five hours. Uh, I can't. I can't ride a bike. If you did three hundred and thirteen k's in five hours, Derm, I want some oh, of what th- you're on. Oh, three hundred and thirteen. Yeah, I missed a digit there. And I thought you said thirty-one. No, five oh, five k's of climbing, five thousand meters of climbing hey, over three days. That'd take me. But, that'd take me a month. Well, we get you an e-bike, Derm. <laughs> but if people, and here's the really important thing, which is really exciting for us, for the first time in our five and a half years. What we've what we've only been able to do in the first five years up until last year's we 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 relied on the generosity of corporate and the community to either sponsor or fundraise and we couldn't give anything back. This year, what we can do if people want to get involved, if you're a business or you're an individual, if somebody wants to go and raise money on GoFundMe, every two hundred and fifty dollars that person raises, we're going to give them two spots into our course. So if you raise 250 bucks, you could go through the course or you could decide, you know what, I'm going to give it to Jane out the back and I'm going to give it to one of my kids. Why is that exciting? For the first time in our journey, we can now deliver value and real benefit back to the people who are supporting us by giving them and the people that they care about the opportunity of going through the program. And that changes lives positively. Good on you, Swatter. What are some of the uh, issues that are coming up that you're seeing at the moment? Oh, look, there's a lot of there's a lot of pressure and stress related to interest rates, mortgages. Um, people are under increasing pressure because they may not have the financial capacity to meet the ongoing increases in the payments. A lot of families are separated, so that brings relationship stresses. There's um, impact. You know, I talk to a lot of businesses, Derm, and what's consistent across all industries is the the really difficult workforce recruitment challenges. Now, I have a lot of friends who run large franchise businesses in the McDonald's network. COVID, if people are off with COVID, there's not a ready pool of people they can draw to cover those spots. And if you're a close contact, well, you're out of, out of the business for a long time. So some of these businesses are are operating at, you know, 30 or 40% um, less capacity compared to what they normally would. So you think about the average age of kids that work in those restaurants, 17 to 21. So think about the stress. They're working longer shifts, they're working more shifts, and they're doing all of that with less staff. Uh, I think that, um, you know, pe- pe- people are, people are, people are, we're living, 
we're living in a really an environment that is skewed to negativity a lot. Very, you can't have a comment or you can't have a conversation with either you're wrong or I'm wrong. Um, you get so much negative feedback. On There's no such thing as debate anymore, is there? Why can't you have a robust discussion and at the end of it go, you know what, I don't agree with your point, but I'm glad we've had the conversation because I've actually learnt about your side of your, your, your argument. Wholeheartedly. Yeah. And, but we, we seem to be in this world now where I'm either right and you're wrong. Somebody or has versa. to win. Correct. Yeah. Correct. And it's not the truth. No. And, and I think a lot of people are really struggling with all of those. There's a myriad of challenges, Derm. The other thing that I did want to say, I, I've been in that dark place before where I didn't think life was worth living. I thought that my life or the lives of those around me would be better off without me. I've 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 lived through a period where I never never believed that my life would ever improve. I'd be happy again, and there'd be good things happening. And I'm sharing that because I do want to, for a second, talk to those people who might be going through a really really difficult period in their life right now. Life can get better. Life can change. You can start to smile again. You can start to feel connected and joy and all of the things that life has to offer. And I know that because I've come through that. In You've order lived to, it. Uh, yes, but in order to get through that, it's really important that you reach out. And to your point, if it's Lifeline, if it's Sane, if it's Beyond Blue, if it's a GP, if it's a family member, if it's a mum or dad or a friend, start a conversation. Because the most important decision you need to make is the decision to start to seek help. And this, there is a lot of help out there, but it requires the individual to take that first scary initial step to go, I need help. And if you think about it, when we're, when we're sick physically, we make that decision because mm. we see a GP and that's a great starting point. What, 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 so, so if people are out there and they're struggling, life can get better. I, so, 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 so let's, let's role play. Um, I have that feeling. Um, failed relationship, uh, financial pressures come in on top and I just want to curl up in a ball. Yep. I don't want to face the next. I don't want to go to work because I'm thinking, what, what, what's the point? I'm going to lose my house. It, it's dire. Mm -hmm. What would you advise me the first step? If you were a mate of mine and you either behaved in a manner that was concerning to me or you said to me, oh, I can't cope at the moment, what I would try to do is I'd just try and facilitate a conversation. And I'd do it in a manner, Derm, I'd say something along the lines of, Man, I can't, I can't fix this. I don't have the answers right now. But what I do want to do is give you the opportunity of just being able to talk to me about whatever it is that you want to talk to me. And whatever we share or whatever you share, it's confidential. I'm going to respect that. I'm so not, are you I'm, a listener? Are you an advice giver? No, I'm a All listen, of the above or, or, or what fleshes out? If, if someone asks us, hey, do you mind if we have a chat? Our primary role, primary role is to listen. Yeah. Don't try and fix it. Don't go to solution mode. Please don't tell the person what to do. Don't judge them. Don't criticize them. Because if we, Derm, you should do this or you should stop doing that, you should do this, I've taken away your right to make your decisions. So what I've done in that example is I've disempowered you to have ownership of what decisions you choose to make. So, and, and I, I can only share this now because I've done a lot of work and I'm still looking to improve and get better at what I do. But when someone asks us if they can talk, our only job is to listen. 
It is to give that person a safe environment so they can share whatever it is that they want to share. If they ask us for our opinion in regards to what we could potentially do, then you might offer that up. But the primary role of that person is just to create a safe environment for the person to talk. And sometimes when you're under significant emotional stress, if I flip it and that's me, I don't necessarily want you to fix it. What I'm asking of you is just, I just need to be able to talk about this. And what also helps people, and I say this a lot, is if you're not sure how to respond or what to do or what to say, I'm going to flip it again. You're the one who's asking me for help. I'm going to start by saying, hey, Derm, help me understand right now what it is you need from me today. And you might go, I just need you to listen. Yeah. I need a hug. I just need to go for a walk. Or you know what? I need some professional help. When we ask the person help me understand what you need from me right now. We're empowering them so they've got choice, but it's also informing us with context as to what we can choose to do based on the expectation of the person that's just shared it with us. Because given the side of my role play here and I'm coming to you, there's an enormous amount of trust totally. on my behalf yep. Yep. given to you. Yes, 100%. You've just given me goosebumps. And we may be not wanting to not wanting to put anybody in a position where they feel overwhelmed with this, but you may only reach out to me. I may be the only person that you yeah. reach out to. And if my response isn't supportive, is non-judgmental, is caring, is gentle, and I'm listening, if I'm not any of those things or all of those things and I'm negative to you and I, I'm critical or I'm judging you, you may never reach out and talk to someone else again. Yeah, and that's So that's why these conversations are so important. Mate, uh, <laughs> this is some pretty serious stuff. Um, yeah, but, but, but yes, it is, right? But I've seen, I've seen the life-changing outcomes of these discussions often. Mm. I'll share something with you. Three weeks ago, my partner and I, Sophia, went to the Myrtleford Football and Netball Club for a mental health day. Great day. And we parked our car in the car park and we just got out of the car. And you know when you know when you just sense there's someone, someone's looking at me. So you always had very good peripheral vision. <laughs> well, I had to, because there were bigger blokes out on the footy field derm that wanted to sort of mow me over. Um, <laughs> one in this room. <laughs> so we hopped out of the car yeah. and we had to walk up a long part of the road towards the club rooms. And there was this guy a bit older than me, maybe 55, 60. And, and he was sensing it. No, he was, he was... Yeah, but you were sensing yeah, him, sensing. his gaze. I'm standing up, so people can't see this, but I'm standing up and I'm looking at you, but you're yeah. 100 metres down the road. Yeah. No one else was there, and he's looking straight at me. And I said to my partner, I said, oh, I don't know what's going on here, but I've got a suspicion he wants to say something. So we walked up, never met this guy before, and we got close to him, and I could see that he was starting to get emotional, and that's okay. He goes, my name's Mel, and you saved my life. Wow. And that was my response. I said... I don't understand. He goes, four years ago, I moved from Queensland. I moved away from family, friends, and my kids. And I stopped taking my medication. I fell into a really, really deep depression. And I was starting to think about that life-changing decision. Yeah. And I watched the eulogy that you delivered at Danny Frawley's funeral. And I remember you said, don't get off your medication unless you talk to your GP about it. That message spoke to me directly. I went back and saw my GP and got back on my medication. 
I just want to thank you because without you, I wouldn't be here. And I'm not sharing that to make this about me. I'm sharing that because that's one example, and there have been so many, Derm. That's one example of being prepared to have open, authentic discussions and not knowing the impact that they may, that may have on other people. This guy was in Queensland. I'm at Spud's funeral, which you were at. Mm. I've never met him. But what I shared with him on that day, and I didn't share it for that reason, what I shared on that day about our great mate saved this guy from ending his life. That's the value of these conversations. That's why we do what we do. Speaking of the conversations, there'll be people out there now who feel like they need a conversation right now. So if you are one of those people listening, call Lifeline on 13 11 14, 24 hours a day. We're chatting with Wayne Schwoss. The conversations that could with Dermot Brereton. Mate not feeling great? A dare fix won't fix it. But a conversation could. Ask, are you okay? Well, I'm Dermot Brereton and our guest is the Schwatter, Wayne Schwoss. This is the conversations that could. You can kickstart a conversation with Dare and Are You OK? And if you need to talk to somebody, call Lifeline 13 11 14. They're available 24 hours a day. And it's tough, but I'm really enjoying tonight's conversation. <laughs> One of the great blokes that we've come to meet and know and love through Australian Rules Football, Wayne Schwoss, founder of Pucker Up. How far have we come in learning about the stigma. Oh, we've we've moved, but we haven't moved fast enough. 3,139 people took their lives 2020. We'll have a similar number last year and yeah. this year. We've got we've we've really got to ramp this up term. Um and, Are the and, right people learning though. I don't know the answer to the question, Derm. I, I I don't really have a sense of being able to give you a confident answer. We're getting better at talking about it, but talking alone doesn't develop skill. We need to not only have more conversations, we need to absolutely eliminate and annihilate any form of stigma, which is, said another way, discrimination. We can do what we've done with racism in this country if we're prepared to commit to it because we've changed the expectations as a community and individually about what was okay once, what wasn't, and what's not okay now and the reasons why. We need to do the same with stigma and discrimination because stigma and discrimination is the single greatest barrier preventing people from stepping forward and seeking help. Let me give you a real-life example. Kyle Chalmers spoke openly recently about the toll on him. I don't work in the media anymore. You do. The media has such a wonderful opportunity to reframe the way that we do this, but there's, there's this insatiable appetite on the detail, the relationships, the love triangles, all this stuff. We're talking about human beings without understanding what's the impact on the human being. Kyle spoke honestly and said, this has impacted my mental health. And now people are actually trying to decry his his call. Well, ha, ha, unless they're cold charmers, how do they know that's not true? And that's part of the ignorant attitude that we have in the current world that we have. Look... We're not moving fast enough, Derm, because we're still losing so many so many people in all communities across the country, which is why I made a decision three years ago to walk away from the media because this is my passion. I'm invested with everything I've got and my business to change this, and we'll do everything we can to be able to change it because we think it is changeable. That That, that is very visible. 
there will be, and let's hope it's a one in a thousand, somebody who utilises the mental health card opportunistically. Mm. But until we can actually somehow identify that one in a thousand opportunists who do use that card, we have to take every person who calls this situation out like Kyle Chambers Chambers, Mm -hmm. and say, this is real. We must respect this young man's call and cry. Yep, 100%. Because think about it differently. If we don't, and that person did something to themselves. How would we feel? Mm, Correct. Yeah. So, um, you know, certain percentage of the population will always look to exploit, work the angles, play the game. But I refuse to uh, apply that same... Um, approach to people. If people are saying that they're struggling, then I'm going to take that on face value. Yeah. So what can we do to help them? So the worst thing that can happen is you've got one accidental prisoner. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Hey, uh, let's go, let's go over it again. November the seventeenth to the twentieth. Cycle for change, two thousand and twenty-two. Mate, <laughs> I, I did I did half a dozen. Uh, um, what do you call it? triathlons? Got out of the water in the top ten. There's no swimming doom. Because okay, but I'm just running you through this. Outran everybody. Yeah. I finished 117th. <laughs> so I, the bike's your weaker leg. The I had, with all due respect, mm. I had. Grandmothers <laughs> with on mountain bikes with with rear ends and you would have coped. You, you would have coped with them riding past you well too. Yeah, they drafted me. <laughs> they, they gave me wind burn as they went past. What yeah. I cannot ride a bike. Yeah, that's Have okay. you seen the the, yeah. the the size of my skinny yeah, legs? Yeah, I did everything I could to stay away from those chicken legs <laughs> during my playing days. <laughs> Can't ride a bike. It's... We have 81 cyclists from absolute guns <laughs> yeah. to people that ride twice a year. So you can imagine it's like herding cows, Term. <laughs> that event has sold out. But I do want to really invite people and encourage people. You can support your own well-being and of those people closest to you. What do I mean by that? If people feel strongly about this and they believe in the importance of suicide prevention – then jump onto our website and hit the GoFundMe um, tab and that'll take you to an area where you can set up a GoFundMe page. And if you raise $250, every $250 you raise, we're investing that money into unlocking two slots into our skill-building wellbeing program that you can gift to people that you care about. That will have a positive impact on the lives of people that you care about. Yeah. So that's, that's something that I feel really passionate about, that we're now in a position where we can give people that opportunity, which really means that you can be part of the solution. So the more people that we can get involved in this who are going through the program and giving people that they care about the opportunity of educating themselves, the more people that do that, the bigger the solution, which means that we're keeping even more people healthier. Yeah. But just quickly, Derm, practical tools for people to help look after their well-being. Sleep. Prioritise it. Get more. Exercise. Don't care what you do, just move your body. That bloody Netflix is really disturbing my yeah. sleep and the Re- Foxtel movie. I'm going to suggest a book. I love reading. Love reading. A book called Stolen Focus by Johan Hari. Ha- read it. Invest the time to read it. Stolen, Stolen Focus, Focus by Johan Hari. And it talks about the role of social media and media, traditional media, and the way that it's disrupted our ability to focus, which means it's having a negative impact on our mental health and emotional well-being. I reckon so, social media is having an enormous huge, input huge. into... And they don't, 
they don't care about the users. What they care about is having us on the screens more so they can generate more revenue through the advertising. Sleep, exercise, diet. I'm not talking about losing weight. What do you consume? Food, fluid, content, relationships, um, support network, family, friends, GP, psych, whatever it might be, asking for help. Medication is a big part of my toolbox, which I'm currently on for anxiety. Having the language to talk about issues when things are good, when things aren't good, being connected to all of my feelings and emotions and doing something that brings me joy. They're practical things that either take time or might require a little investment. And I understand money's tight for people, but think about this. If we make an investment today, not only are we increasing the possibility of being healthier for much longer, what we're preventing a significantly more expensive exercise if we become sick and unwell. Wayne Schwoss, I don't say this often about many people, you are a beautiful man. Thank you, Derm. I appreciate that from one of my footballing heroes. <laughs> we'll see you in 12 months. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not coming back. <laughs> Cheers, mate. Thank you. If you've enjoyed this episode of The Conversations That Could for Are You OK and you'd like to share it with a friend or access the resources in our show notes, subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And if our conversation tonight has raised some issues for you, you can call Lifeline on 13 11 14 and they will take your call 24 hours a day. I'm Dermot Brereton and we'll be back next week when we'll kickstart a conversation with Dare and Are You OK. Thanks for listening. 